Hi, you're listening to Invest in You with Frederick Sanval and Shirley and Ivan, a platform to enrich entrepreneurs globally with the power of positivity and sharing. Welcome to today's podcast of Invest in You. So from uh, the ski slopes of Sweden, we've got Charlie and Frederick. Yep. And uh, in uh, London, we've got a special guest. And it's Daniel Priestley. Welcome to join us, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. Yeah, it's per- perfect, Dan, that we could set this up. We know that you're a super busy guy. Well, you know, I'm just having a fun day today. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, uh, I, like, I know that you like sharing as well. So for people who have no idea who you are, the typical question like, what do you do? Yeah, well, um, my background is as an entrepreneur in Australia. Uh, I was uh, 19 years old and very lucky to be employee number three at a really cool startup. Uh, we grew very fast over two years and we grew to about 60, 70 people and about seven or eight million or six or seven million in, in revenue. And I, from 19 to 21, had this awesome experience working closely with a mentor while we built that business. And I got a front row seat in all those kind of things growing the business. Yep. And, uh, and then at 22, I, I went and started my own company and, and built that into a, uh, into a business that went from zero to a million. And then by year three, we had about 11 million a year in or just under 11 million for the year in sales. Yeah. And uh, so I had a fast growth startup of my own before I was 25. So um, that was the background. And then basically I discovered I had a passion for entrepreneurship. So I set up an entrepreneur accelerator and uh, started writing about the entrepreneur journey. So I ended up, uh, today we've got a global accelerator. We're in Australia, Canada, the UK, got a considerable number of clients in Singapore and the USA. And, um, and, and I've written four books on, uh, on entrepreneurship. So uh, it's, it's all based around this idea of standing out, scaling up and making a positive impact in the world. Love it, love it. Yeah, and, and again, for the audience, I have read all Dan's books, uh, both me and Shirley have attended his training. Uh, I'm a very strong advocate of the, like the, the values of the business, really, to make a, a difference in the world. I like that a lot. Yeah, so your company name is called Dent, which is all about making a difference, I guess. So what kind of like dent would you like to make in the world? Well, the Steve Jobs quote, uh, an entrepreneur's job is to go make a dent in the universe. Um, and that's where we get our name from. And, um, and it's all about kind of getting out there and making an impact. A dent is an impact. So for me, uh, what we want to do is we want to align tens of thousands of companies to the United Nations Global Goals over the course of this decade. Yeah. Uh, we want to be instrumental in making sure that businesses are thinking about how they can you know, have a successful business that's more than just making money. And one of the things that we do is we actually get uh, every company we work with has to select one of the United Nations Global Goals and then they've got to select a number of practical ways that they're going to support that UN global goal. So the top line, the big top line is United Nations global goals. And then as we get down to the grassroots, it might be donating, buy one, give one. Yep. It could be doing pro bono work. Uh, it could be improving the way that the business runs, uh, creating a product specifically designed that is going to give some money away to that particular charity. So we've got a number of game plans that you can execute uh, to use your business as a force for good in the world. So for us, it's about uh, getting to 10,000 companies this decade uh, doing that. We've, we've worked with over 3,000 companies so far. So we've just got to keep doubling and doubling and, uh, it, and yes. get, get, uh, get thousands of companies making a positive dent in the universe. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I know. Surely met up with, uh, with uh, Paul Dunn a couple of years ago in, in Bali. Yeah. Uh, what was your impression of B1G1 as, as a business? 
Uh, I'm pretty sure they don't make any money off what they do. Yep. So, um, like a good system of a charity where you can control more, see where your money goes and make impacts after what you think is important. Yeah. So, yeah, Dan, we, we focus in particular on, on goal number four, which is uh, quality education. And we see what we're doing right now as part of educating the world, just yes, as you are. Brilliant. Yeah. That's yeah. what we love so, to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we also love to help tens of thousands of, of younger people to dare to take the choice into entrepreneurship. And I think you're really doing that as well. Have you been working with younger entrepreneurs uh, as part of your uh, work so far? Uh, most, of our, most of our clients at Dent are over 35, yep. um, young at heart, but, uh, but the age is normally uh, over 35. The, I do some work with a number of charities that work with young people. In particular, I've worked with young men uh, coming out of prison. Yeah, uh, and I've, I've you know worked for an organisation called Key for Life, which is about running workshops for young men who have been put into prison for right. drug dealing offences. Yeah, and what we do is we try and harness that entrepreneurial spirit that uh, that they used in order to go out and break <laughs> the law and see if we can get them to use that for a uh, for a different type of product. Yeah, exactly, and it's all around sales and marketing. Mm. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. well, you yeah. know, th- th- this is actually what I. This is actually what I tell them. I tell them that there's a transferable skill set, that if they're willing to work 24-7 and they're yes. willing to hustle, they're willing to sell and offer customer service, that they would actually be better off in any other business. Yeah, yeah exactly. Finding way. absolutely yeah. true. So which of your educational programs do you like enjoy the most? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, for me, I really enjoy teaching what's called the Campaign Driven Enterprise Workshop. Yeah. It's a two-day workshop on on marketing campaigns and uh, doing product launches, that's a, that's a really good fun one. Uh, and uh, I really enjoy Product Day on the on the KPI program yes. where we construct a product ecosystem and we build a ascending transaction model. And, you know, a lot of people's businesses transform right before their eyes in one day. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're some of the fun days that we do. On the 24 Assets program, I, I really enjoy the funding day and looking at acquisitions and raising funding and all that kind of thing as well, putting together a board. Perfect. Um, I, enjoy, Perfect. I enjoy the whole lot. Yeah, of course. Uh, so digging deep, and we love to leave uh, with the listeners with good value. So would you mind just run through your uh, your four piece of, of the of the product to help people to see how they can actually expand what they're doing today? The, the idea here is that any idea that is going to become a product actually has to become four products, not one. Yeah. So we look at four products. The first one is a gift, something you can give away for free a free trial or free um, information or free entertainment. Uh, and the next product is called a product for prospects, which is a first easy sale. It's um, a, an initial way to start working together that's low risk. Uh, and then we have a core product, which is a full and remarkable solution. You get everything. And then there's a product for clients, which is about managing the journey going forward and actually having an ongoing uh, relationship with the client and uh, making sure that their needs are looked after. So profit actually happens as a result of the ecosystem. It's never just one product that makes the money. It's always an ecosystem of products that make money. For example, yes. I give away a lot of books. Um, I give them give them away as gifts. Uh, and the books don't make so much money, but all my other products make money when I give away, when I give away books. Or when I sell books, um, I don't make a lot of money off selling books, but I do... Uh, notice that as if my book sales go up, everything else that we do uh, does very well. So that's called having an ecosystem. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, that's a, a great example. And something else which uh, your whole organization is doing really, really well, like you said, to run a campaign. We right now got a, a live campaign, me and Charlie, where we have invited younger entrepreneurs to attend a one-day uh, training in, in London. So you got a book coming out really soon, actually today, when we're recording this, which is uh, a second uh, version. So it's called Oversubscribe. How can people get oversubscribed in terms of their offerings or campaigns? So the idea with oversubscribed is that the forces of demand and supply set the price. Yeah. And only when a business has a waiting list or only when it has, um, a only when it's in a situation where it's oversubscribed, there are more buyers than sellers. Can you sell anything at a profitable price? So you actually yeah. have to manufacture, uh, you have to manufacture excess demand for your product. And you actually also have to make sure that there is a supply constraint to make sure that people are, are, are really happy and that they are delighted by your product. So with a supply constraint and excess demand, you end up with a profitable business. So the book is all about the principles for creating a demand and supply tension. And one of the key ideas or the key strategies is to run campaigns. Yeah. Uh, and and um, we talk about the different phases of running a campaign, planning the campaign, building up energy, uh, collecting signals, uh, getting oversubscribed, creating a transparent, um, a transparent oversubscribed signal, uh, yes. and then doing a release, doing sales follow-up, and then delivering beyond people's expectations uh, before celebrating and innovating. So we have a whole set of stages that you go through in a campaign that you can repeat over and over, and it basically allows you to stay oversubscribed year after year after year. Yeah, I know many of your students are doing this really, really well. I think you have about a few people right away. We are unfortunately not in that cluster. We are very poor with managing the, the timing of the whole campaign. So that, that's homework for, for the next uh, few times, right, Charlie? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've All been right. doing too much skiing, I hear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You've been doing the celebrating and innovating uh, before, the, before the results are in. <laughs> yeah, I, I think think that's actually quite rare to do that. But uh, on the serious note of that, uh, we both help many entrepreneurs in different ways, uh, Dan. I see there's not too much celebration going on. Many people just pause key milestones. They don't celebrate with a the team. Uh, they don't celebrate a, a massive success. Would you agree with that observation? Yeah, and it's, it's really dangerous to the business. You've got to celebrate because the yeah. way the human brain is wired, that if you don't have payoff, if you don't have reward, then you don't go back and do it again. Um, and, and business is all about doing the right things over and over again. And if you're not celebrating the little wins, then the, you know, the brain gets sick of it and doesn't want to do it anymore. So yeah. it's important to celebrate wins. It's important uh, to acknowledge your wins. That's part of being an influencer and becoming becoming more influential. Um, and uh, it's it's part of having fun along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. Which, and, uh, one of which... the worst parts about being in one of the worst things. It's a great time to be alive, but one of the worst parts is that you can compare yourself to anyone on the planet. You can say, "Oh well, I'm not I'm not as successful as Mark Zuckerberg, or I'm not as successful as." Elon Musk, so therefore I, I won't celebrate. It's, yeah. it's a silly way to think. Yeah, I think also that Elon Musk is probably not great at celebrating his success as well. He seems to be uh, somewhat workaholic, potentially. Yeah, it's true. He um, And he, he brings himself undone when he gets too stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, think about entrepreneurship as... Uh, as a sport, can it be stressful sometimes? Yeah, but uh, with any great sport, you have to collect the trophy. True, when, true. Uh, when, when you got the chance to. 
great. All right. Uh, Charles, would uh, you like to jump in with another question? Yeah, sure. So our podcast name is called Invest in You, as you may have heard. Uh, so what does like investing in yourself mean to you? Yeah, so I, I, there's two ways that I think about that. There's the internal world and the external world. So the yep. internal world is about um, investing in your own skills and understanding and developing insights and personal development and um, developing a good framework for managing complexity or a good framework for managing stress. So all of that would be investing in yourself so that you are a more capable human being. Uh, and then investing in yourself can also mean uh, actually treating yourself like an asset in the marketplace and building a personal brand and having, um, you know, making sure that you build a high quality reputation, you protect that reputation and that uh, you actually invest in having uh, assets that are on the internet and that are out in the, out in the world that um, that are building your brand and your reputation all the time. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I, I have, I'm personally at the moment between a one-to-one mentor. Uh, I have lots and lots of indirect mentors, including yourself. Uh, how do you relate to the term mentor? And do you have one at the moment or multiple? Yeah, I like the, I like the distinction that you made about an indirect mentor. Um, I see a lot of people saying, oh, I'm getting a mentor because I'm reading a book. It's like, well, that's not really a mentor. That's a book. A mentor is someone you can sit down with and really unpack uh, what's going on in your situation, what's going on in your world. And they talk you through it. They share their experiences. They they share similar experiences they've had. They help you to come to a good conclusion. And I think it devalues a mentoring relationship to, to call a book or a YouTube video a mentor because a mentor is a very special thing. Yeah, I've had some brilliant mentors and, uh, and you know, it's, it's a very different relationship to, to just learning from books or, or um, videos. But a lot of people these days, they kind of call a mentor anyone that they're learning from. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I've always had mentors that I've kind of in some way been in business with not necessarily as a business partner, but like um, I've had people on my boards who are mentors. I've had um, uh, professional speakers who I've been working alongside with campaigns and uh, been learning from them as we go. Uh, I've, I've got friends who we, you know, we hang out and they're just at a very different level of business uh, to me. I've got a friend of mine who's my age, but he's a multi-billionaire or he's a billionaire. Yep. Um, he's, he's sold his company for 900 million and then another one for 300 million. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's really great at getting me thinking differently. And, you know, those are the kind of relationships that I look to as mentoring relationships. I think what doesn't work a lot of people, unless you're, unless you're young, unless you're kind of like Charlie, where you can reach out and say, would you be able to mentor me a little bit? Or can I have a, can I, have uh, have an opportunity to learn from you most of the time once you hit ad- adulthood uh you know it's kind of rare that you'll actually just have a clean mentor relationship that doesn't involve either paying for mentoring yes. or yeah. having a business relationship with a mentor yeah no i i think you're quite right and, and many people also often ask on one side like would you like to mentor me and the other side like how can i find a, a mentor and again motivate them i mean uh, i think you got the question a few times as well dan uh, uh do you have time for a coffee uh, do you get that question sometimes yeah i do and <laughs> um it's it's never as exciting as uh, as people seem to imagine it is yeah, it's yeah. like if i've you know, I'm I'm more than happy to have a coffee at home, actually. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. No. And and quite quite rightly so that 
most people who are like yourself busy running multiple businesses and so on that uh, to if you'd like to get really good advice to buy a coffee or a drink might not be the best way to get access to us because in the end of the day we might be able to offer uh, afford those ourselves what would be your advice inside track to get uh, a busy person's uh, attention well um in many ways the ability to actually tell them what, what it's about and be really yeah. clear and not take Love it personally it. if they're not interested so um what i do tend to respond well to is when someone says uh, um, i'd like to have a meeting because i have this piece of software that i've developed and um, here's the track record and we've got a testimonial from this company and you know we're now looking at getting funding and you know they actually tell me this is what it's about and and what i really want you to do is i want you to look at it and see whether you would recommend it or whether we could have a you know have you as a, a case study or something like that but they're they're really clear with me what what it is they want and what they've got and and if i say no then that's fine and that is that's lovely i love when someone writes to me and says of course you know at the end they sign off with of course if it's not of interest that's perfectly fine there's no issue at all um, you know, there, there's other people who we can talk to. Um, and I love that. And I sort of, you know, I don't feel guilty saying no. Um, oh, that's good. So, good point. Uh, yeah, being clear is, is a really great idea. But simply having free, you know, one thing that kind of frustrates me a little bit is that I wrote four books so that I can share my share what I know. And I put a lot of thought into each of the books. So all the information's in the book. Um, and sometimes people say, yeah, but... I'd rather just talk to you and it's like, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's fine. But, uh, you know, that's something, if you're an adult, that's something I will charge for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So mo moving on from, from what you said, like if people are really good at pitching, what's in it for you, why you might, might not want to meet up with them. Let's tap into your interest, which is a shared one, how to fund things. And we could talk about this for hours, but uh, jumping straight in, uh, what would be a good advice for businesses looking for funding to actually track that? Well, the absolute best form of funding is uh, pre-sales. So yes. pre-sales pre is essentially, you go out to the market and you make sales and people prepay. And yep. um, you know, or they put down a deposit or that they at least sign an agreement. And the more pre-sales you have, then the easier it is to um, either fund from cash flow or to go to an investor and say, I already have 300,000 pounds worth of pre-sales um, and I need a, a short-term loan to bridge the gap between uh, producing the product or de delivering the product and getting paid. Um, so pre-sales is one of the most powerful um, strategies for funding. Um, you know, people love to imagine that if they get the funding, then they'll make a product and then the product will sell. And actually, you need to sell the product in order to get the product to get the funding most of the time. True. Uh, and, and then assuming that you're now in the position where you might sell uh, equity in your business. What's your thoughts around that? Uh, selling equity in the business is, is not a bad idea if you're the type of business that has a long-term objective to be a performance business that exits. And what I mean by that is that there's a very, very small number of businesses that, that will exit. Um, so businesses that exit normally have three things in common. Uh, they have a, uh, an operational team of more than 40 people uh, normally. Uh, um, so you've got to be able to commit to getting a team up over 40 to 50 people 
as a as a general rule, and that implies that you're going to have to have revenue above five million. Um, you normally need to have a proprietary asset or a set of proprietary assets, something that is unique to your business. It's not just brokering someone else's assets. You've got your own asset in the business. And then the third one is recurring revenue. That the business revenue itself is recurring. It's going to keep ticking over. People are happily spending money month in, month out. Um, and with a combination of recurring revenue, proprietary assets, and a, and a talented team of 40-plus people, you can start thinking about an exit. But yes. the vast majority of entrepreneurs, they want funding because they want the business to be a little bit easier and they want to buy things, but they're not at all thinking about the direct path to those three things. And if you're not thinking about the direct path to those three things, then essentially you're not going to be able to provide a return on investment for the investor the relationship's going to turn sour and, um, you know, no one's, no one's going to be thrilled with that. Yeah. Great. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, there are many, many very helpful things tagging onto that. It's very much related buying. Uh, so instead of selling your equity, actually there are quite a few businesses out there which are either sellable or not so sellable. Uh, what's your ideas about acquisitions to buy companies as part of your own portfolio growth. I know that you've already been trying this. Yeah, I've, I've bought a number of companies. I love buying companies. Um, I, uh, I find that there are so many, there's just thousands of businesses out there that, um, that you can buy very, very uh, cheaply, affordably. Um, there are many business owners who just want to get out of their business, but they don't want the employees to lose their job and they don't want to put business into a, uh, administration. Um, many businesses are poorly run or even there are successful businesses, but the owners want to retire. Um, you know, so there's so many great businesses to, to be able to, um, uh, buy. And one of the things I've found, you know, one of my friends and mentors, Jeremy Harbour, he says, you know, when you buy a business, it's like someone else ran the first 25 miles of the marathon for you. And you only have to run the last mile. Uh, and it's so true. You know, you can buy a business and, uh, ultimately, if someone else has spent seven years building it and you can buy it fairly cheaply, uh, that is a very positive thing to be able to get done. Yeah, and I think this is really an area worth exploring uh, for, for many of the listeners as well. There are so many ways how you can fund this creatively as well. And many times you don't not at all need to put up all the money up front, as you might think. All right, um, you are today I've in bought, London. I've bought several, I've bought several companies. Uh, uh, where the only money that I put in is the legal and accounting fees. Perfect. Love it. Yeah, uh, so less so, than 5,000 5, pounds to build, to buy a six figure business. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm impressed. Uh, it's absolutely something I would like to, and will do more of as well. So, uh, today you're in London. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've been working in some, uh, awesome places. So what is like your coolest office or place that you've worked from? Well, it, it's not going to sound very cool, but I love working from home. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I, I, I actually have a lovely office at home. I really love my office uh, and I love my home and I love working where I can hear the kids playing in the background. And then between meetings, I can go and have a little play with some Lego and, and uh, you know, sit on the floor for fifteen minutes and play with the kids, and then and then get into the next meeting. You know, yeah. so for me, you know, it used to be Bali. It used to be traveling the world with a couple of suitcases, and you know, one day I'm in Las Vegas, and the next day I'm in Toronto, and the next day I'm in Mexico, and you know, I lived that life for the best part of a decade, and uh, and had a great time. 
traveling around pretty much nonstop uh, for six or seven years and, you know, living out of suitcases. And I absolutely adored that at the time. Uh, but today, my favorite place is just working from home. Sounds awesome. Perfect. Yeah, again, the, the cool thing with ourselves, we can decide in our mind what we what we like and what we don't like uh, to make it really comfortable and enjoy what you have. Uh, a great family back home and to be able to spend time with them. I think that's a really good grown up uh, attitude. So well done. Well done for finding out your spot. Yeah, my spot in the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I. You have written many books. You have talked to lots and lots of people. If I just give the word now to share some wisdom about your your journey, it can be anything at all. What would that be? I think I think one of the things that uh, you know in general is that a lot of people are looking to uh, discover a purpose. They kind of like feel like one day they will get hit by a bolt of lightning, or someone will send them a letter and say, "This is your purpose." And the truth is, is that um, you know, what you end up doing is you make one up. You actually make up a purpose and and uh, and then pretend that it's real and uh, and play it. It's almost like creating a board game and then playing the game yourself as though it's, as though you didn't make it. Um, yeah. But uh, I think a really great skill that people need is to make up their own purpose and and figure it out and then pretend it's real until it becomes real. Yes. And um, you know and it's one of those things where life becomes a lot easier when you're very clear about what is an opportunity for you, what's not an opportunity for you. When you know what your vision is and your values are, then it doesn't really matter if something seems like a good idea on the surface. If it doesn't match your vision and your values, you just ignore it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that, that is a huge, um, you know, huge benefit. Yeah. You, you met lots of people who want to be the, the entrepreneur, but sometimes it's not being the right thing. So entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship for everyone or not really? I think uh, entrepreneurship is a team sport and everyone can definitely be part of an entrepreneurial company. Great. Uh, it tends to be that entrepreneurial companies are their mo- they're the most entrepreneurial when they're between, say, three and 30 people. Um, and, you know, it's it's a very exciting time to be part of a company when it's in its infancy, when it's a small dynamic business, there are some people who are going to be the founder and they're going to be the person who set up the company structure and they're going to have made the first few sales. But actually a huge amount of value is created going from one to 5 million. And, um, and you know, there are plenty of opportunities to be part of a dynamic entrepreneurial team without being the number one founder. Uh, in many cases, founders get way too much credit, and actually, uh, the it's a team sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, Sean, what do you find interesting about entrepreneurship? Where you are at the moment, very early stage. Uh, the, about entrepreneurship. Yeah, general. Uh, I think something one thing that is very cool is linked to a favorite office is that you can work from anywhere, uh, and uh, you can use. Uh, especially now that you can work online is uh, a great thing, a great tool. So I, I really like that you can work from anywhere and still make an impact and still improve your business. So teenpreneur, any ideas uh, on the way that can help for Charlie or people just like him? Yeah, so with, with someone like Charlie, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, someone like Charlie being a number two or a number three in an organization first and actually doing, you know, working alongside an entrepreneurial person yeah. uh, and working inside an entrepreneurial company before starting something brand new. Um, that, would, that would always be a, 
a great idea. And then the other thing I would say is in your 20s before you've got kids, um, you know, it's a great... Uh, you know, it's a great time to try things that might not work, like to try some real long shots. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you try a business and then fail in your 20s. Um, you know, you could try two, three, four, five different businesses in your 20s and all of them could fail and then, you know, the sixth one does really well and that's not a problem. Uh, you know, the 20s are a great time for learning and, um, and you know, and having a great experience of, of learning and trying things. Unfortunately, once you have uh, children and a mortgage and all those kind of things, then, you know, then for most people, they're too afraid to uh, get out there and try those high risk opportunities. Yeah. And it's often the high risk opportunities that pay the biggest, you know, pay the biggest um, payoff. Yeah, it's yeah. easy when you don't have anything to lose. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, linked to the same thing, young age. I also find this a great time to travel. Because travel gives you perspective or like appreciate more what you have and so on. What has travel in terms of travel brought to you, Dan? Yeah, I, I used my twenties for traveling a lot, um, and one of the best types of travel is working travel. Yes. Because um, you're traveling with a purpose. So, you know, I was so fortunate that I traveled all over the world, uh, and I was working most of the time I was doing that. So I was having a great time, and I might be on a yacht in Vanuatu, but we're also doing some. Then I was. You know, in Thailand, sailing around the national parks and also doing some business. And I would go on a speaking tour and, you know, speak in Dubai and then India and then go and speak in the US and Mexico and to Canada. And, you know, I had this just amazing experience in my 20s of just traveling around, getting paid a lot of money and, and, and having fun doing business and learning and, and meeting people. And very much I had a purpose. I know some people who kind of like travel just for holidays. I, I, I think I had more fun because I was working. Um, I mean, I, I also did the, the touristy things, but I actually was everywhere I went, I actually had a reason for being there. Yeah, I think that that's a great insight yet again, share, share with well. So Dan, you've shared massive value, lots of ideas, uh, food for thought. We'll link to your books in the show notes. How can people follow your work if they like to get in touch or, or just learn more yeah instagram twitter um facebook linkedin all of those ones uh, work and um and you can just search daniel Priestley, uh, or you can visit our website dent.global or keypersonofinfluence.com um and at the moment my new startup is called scoreapp.com uh, we've just raised a few hundred thousand for for getting that um yep. prototyped and getting that off the ground so, um, yeah, so you can just connect with me on all of those fronts. Perfect. Yeah, we, we are just about to do one score on your app uh, in, in the next Brilliant. month with uh, Sapphire Lending. So, yeah, we're, we're on board. Excellent. Wonderful. Good one. All right. So this has been episode uh, number 90 of Invest in You. Uh, Dan, who would you uh, suggest we try to get on the podcast? Mm, well, I mean, it's a long shot, but like Peter Diamandis is a big hero of mine. He's just released a book called uh, "The Future Is Faster Than You Think." Um, that that would be a uh, that would be a, a moonshot. Yeah. But if you could get him, that would be really cool. Perfect. We will work on that, and we will absolutely let you know if that happens. So, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. 